Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, December 7th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. Lockdowns, hospitals nearing capacity, and a growing economic crisis, the pandemic entering a severe new phase. In a bombshell report suggesting that the Trump administration had the opportunity to purchase additional Pfizer vaccines, but chose not to, as the United Kingdom begins the vaccinating process. And the White House under fire as it faces criticism from election officials about the president's unproven claims on voter fraud. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. Today, the White House is hosting a vaccine summit ahead of the FDA's hearing on a COVID-19 vaccine, but the two top Vaccine makers Pfizer and Moderna decline invitations to attend. All this as President Trump runs out of time to fight the election results. Andrea Linares has the latest. President Trump is expected to sign an executive order that prioritizes the shipment of the COVID-19 vaccine to Americans ahead of other nations. Senior administration officials say he'll do so today during a vaccine summit at the White House. We're going to see increases in hospitalizations and hospitals are already on the brink. So where is the reserve capacity? Where is where are patients going to be going at this point? According to The New York Times, after initially purchasing 100 million doses of the vaccines, the Trump administration turned down an offer from drug maker Pfizer to buy more doses of the vaccine in late summer. In reality, 100 million doses would only be enough for 50 million people, and that's because each individual requires two doses. Administration officials deny the time story. The decision to not buy additional doses from Pfizer might mean the U.S. won't be able to get more from them until June because of the company's commitments to other countries. We've always known that in the initial couple months, the supply would be quite limited. And so we are going to really have to figure out how best to prioritize the limited number of doses uh, for the maximum impact. Meanwhile, the president is still going on a rant over election results. Now, this was like from a third world nation, and I think the case has been made, and now we find out what we can do about it. But so far, Trump and his allies have lost or withdrawn at least 40 court cases since the election, failing to make a case. However, Trump has sought to overturn results in states he lost to President-elect Joe Biden in other ways. The Associated Press is reporting that the president even reached out to Pennsylvania House Speaker Brian Cutler to try and stop the state's certification of the election results. And on Saturday, Trump also called Georgia Governor Brian Kemp a Republican urging him to ask the state legislature to overturn the results. Options are dwindling for President Trump to snatch a second term. The Electoral College will be meeting on December 14th to formally cast votes for presidents based on the popular votes in each state. Then Congress is set to meet on January 6th to count the electoral votes and certify the presidential and vice presidential winner. Biden is set to defeat Trump. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News.
Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And now courts across the nation have rejected President Trump's lawsuit hoping to overturn the election. More than 30 cases have been dismissed or dropped, according to the Associated Press. It was a historic test to our democracy, but some fear it could have a lasting impact, especially amongst black and Latino voters. And joining us now to talk about this is Justin Levitt. He's a professor at Loyola Law School and a former attorney at the Department of Justice. Justice Civil Rights Division. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Good to be with you. Now, many of the president's lawsuits targeted predominantly black and Latino counties in places as Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. Why these counties? Yeah, so we've seen it's not just the states, as you mentioned, it's places like Detroit or Milwaukee or Philly or Maricopa County, Arizona all places where there are heavy minority populations. That's also all places where there are lots and lots of people. They happen to be very democratic. But I don't think it's a coincidence that these lawsuits have been targeting uh, activity in those places. And I want to be clear, the activity they're targeting is entirely lawful. Nobody has come forward with any evidence that anything that was actually done there was improper. But it feeds a narrative and it fits a stereotype as them, in heavy quotes, stealing the election from us. That's the sort of stereotype that unfortunately we've become all too familiar with in the Trump administration. He's very fond of pitting them against us, and that's dangerous. And what damage can these attacks have on voters, especially black and Latino ones? I think actually, for what it's worth, the voters will be okay with all this. Um, the voters are strong and resilient and have shown that they are able to overcome an awful lot of adversity. But what it does is it further cements in the mind of some segments of the American populace the fact that elections are unfair when minorities participate. And that is really dangerous. That's a dangerous narrative to be stoking, particularly when we want to encourage all Americans to express their voices at the ballot box. And what can be done to change this? I think it's going to take some leadership, leadership that's been sorely lacking from people who hold the title of leaders in elected office. You just heard in the segment you just uh, ran that election officials have been acting really well. Republicans, Democrats, neither across the board have been saying this election was fair and clean. And as you heard from the director in Georgia, this nonsense has to stop. But while election officials have been speaking up, elected officials have been really, really quiet, particularly the purported leadership in the Republican Party. I think what really needs to happen is they need to reaffirm their commitment to democracy, starting with the Senate Majority Leader and the House Minority Leader and other people in elected positions of national prominence. They need to stop this. Uh, they need to call the president out for what he's doing. Now, Justin, today is the deadline for states to resolve any election disputes. Is this the end for President Trump's challenges? It's probably not going to be the end of challenges you hear about, though it's likely to be the end of any that will work. Uh, from the get-go, the president didn't really have either facts or law on his side. All he's had is bluster. The election was fair, and courts aren't going to overturn it based on screaming and all caps with exclamation points. Um, there will probably still be litigation after today, but today's a really important deadline to solidify the decisions that we, the voters, have made that the states have now certified.
Each of the states has come to an answer about who won the 2020 election. And federal law says if that answer is solid by today, and it is, that there's very little that can be done to upset that process later. You may still hear noise, you may still hear litigation, but none of it's going to have an effect. Joe Biden's going to be inaugurated at 1201 on January 20th. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great talking to you, election law expert, Justin Levitt. Of course. is reporting its highest number of coronavirus deaths since April. This as health officials are gearing up for a possible vaccine approval as early as Thursday. The first patients already getting their shots in the UK as states here in the US struggle to prevent hospitals from collapsing. Lorraine Casares has the latest. The US fearing and dreading what's ahead in the coming weeks. The middle of January can be a really dark time for us. The week after Christmas into New Year's and the New Year's holiday, I think it could be even more of a challenge than what we saw with Thanksgiving. We're all uh, waiting, unfortunately, for a pretty steep acceleration, both in, in terms of cases and hospitalizations and tragically uh, deaths. You know, we'll be hitting 3,000 deaths per day probably on a regular basis. On Monday, more than 192,000 cases and over 1,400 deaths were reported nationwide, the highest since April. And as the country nears 15 million infections, the FDA holding a meeting Thursday to decide whether to clear the Pfizer vaccine for immediate distribution. The very careful, rigorous review by the FDA will lead us to believe that these vaccines are both safe, certainly in the short term, and highly efficacious, and that will be moving forward with an emergency use authorization. In the UK, the vaccine is already being administered to the most vulnerable. Margaret, 90, was the very first patient to get it, and she's telling others to, quote, go for it. Meanwhile, back here in the U.S., states across the country are struggling. Leaders preparing for the worst. New York warning it will close indoor dining in areas where hospitalization rates are on track to exceed 90 percent. In Massachusetts, this field hospital is already accepting patients. But even with these additional resources, we can't afford to continue to strain the hospital system at this rate. Doctors will no longer perform any elective procedures that can be safely postponed. In Michigan, restrictions are being extended on some businesses and gatherings for 12 more days. Right now, 79% of all hospital beds are occupied. We cannot risk overwhelming our hospitals further. In Arizona, the Department of Health Services reports 92% of ICU beds are occupied, and nearly half of those are filled with coronavirus patients. It would be helpful for us within Phoenix, within Maricopa County, to, to continue to put things in place to help us decrease the spread. A curfew would be a good step for us to help mitigate the spread. And ahead of the meeting plans for Thursday, the FDA is already releasing data reports regarding the safety and the efficacy of Pfizer's vaccine, saying that the vaccine is in fact 90% effective, as Pfizer has reported. And it's even reporting that the vaccine is effective, that it offers some protection, even with just one dose. It is also advising that some of the side effects of the vaccine are muscle pain, headaches, fever, and people should be aware of this. Carolina, back to you. 
Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. Now, West Virginia's Attorney General tweeted Monday he has COVID-19. Patrick Morrissey wrote he was diagnosed with both COVID and pneumonia last week. The Republican noted he is continuing to work while quarantining at home. He also says he's receiving breathing and medical treatment. He said COVID-19 is a, quote, nasty virus. And in Ohio, to address the surge in coronavirus patients, some children's hospitals are planning to take adult patients. There's a concern that Thanksgiving gatherings are going to spread even more cases approaching the Christmas holiday. The challenge with using specialty or children's hospitals is that healthcare providers may not be as familiar with their patients. There are also concerns that an overrun healthcare system could be forced to rely on worn out workers forced into double shifts. To help manage the surge in Ohio, doctors say it is important that people not only continue wearing a mask, but also avoid large gatherings. More of you news after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. A federal court has blocked the Trump administration's restrictions on TikTok that the company said would cause harm. The court found that shutting down the TikTok application would not be fair to the company or its 100 million users. ByteDance, the Chinese owner of TikTok, was ordered was ordered by the president in August to sell the app to a U.S. company over national security concerns. A deal by Oracle and Walmart to purchase the short-form video sharing app is still being reviewed by regulators in the U.S. and also in China. And over the weekend, the Social Security Administration sent the Trump administration's Office of Management and Budget a proposal that will bar Social Security benefits from as many as 500,000 Americans. The proposal will make it more difficult for older workers to receive Social Security disability insurance benefits. By law, not regulations, it is required to consider age, education, and work experience when determining whether a person meets the definition of disability. If implemented, the regulation probably will be undone by the Biden administration. A mother is asking for justice for her son. Authorities have not yet explained the homicide of soldier Enrique Roman from the military base at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. According to reports, the victim left with a group of soldiers to go camping and then was found decapitated in May. Andrew Peña had the details on this story. The pain that Maria Guadalupe Martinez carries cannot be measured. After the autopsy for her son, Fort Bragg soldier Enrique Román Martinez revealed that he was decapitated in May. Only his head was found. The rest of his body is still missing. My mother's heart is in pain as I couldn't see him in the coffin to open it and see him. It was just his head. 
Roman Martinez was killed while camping with seven fellow soldiers on North Carolina's Outer Banks. Guadalupe had to read the gory details of the injuries he suffered. Para mí, siento que para poderle cortar el, el, el cuello, le jalaron el cabello. For me, I feel that in order to cut his neck, they pulled his hair out so they could stretch it. He has cuts here and below on his cheek. Roman Martinez's colleagues only reported his disappearance hours after it happened, the mother says. They were interrogated, but there are no arrests in the case. You know what hurts me the most? When I read that my son didn't have any eyes. Maria Guadalupe feels that not enough effort has been made to investigate her son's case. She wants to see those responsible arrested and convicted. I feel this is unique because there were seven friends who accompanied him and who do not want to say what happened. Authorities are offering a $25,000 reward for anyone who provides information about the case. Reported by Vilma Tarasona in Miami, Andrew Pena, U News. Thank you, Andrew, for that report. Such a tragic story. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. <laughs>